Now, before I got into this business, yeah, Goldberg, I might have played some basketball, but I wasn't holding anybody's hands. If, if I watch enough sports, if anybody's patting anybody's asses, it's the football players. Here we go. I think we're drawing the battle lines, if not already. Ward, I love this. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. We are proudly part of the post-wrestling family. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, I gotta say, congratulations. I know you're really happy. Sting is back, and also, I'm so sorry for what they did to your boy this week. What is going on, Brian, man? This might be one of the most momentous Keep It 2000s we have done, sir. This is a, a big week. We, we've got to celebrate the return of that man called Sting, the national treasure that he is. And we also get the, the unleashing of the fame, the legendary Viagra on a pole match. So, yeah, I, I would say all around, Brian, it's, it's, it's a great week to be here on the universe's favorite interracial, cross-generational pop culture pro wrestling show dedicated to the genius and and this week we saw the genius on full display of one vincent james russo my friend i'm just gonna go i'm you know i'm just gonna let it out there this show is fucking awful uh this might i know i keep saying it every week now this might have been the worst one that we've done uh this episode was so bad nadar referred to the viagra on a pole match that wasn't even the worst of it uh we literally could not find anyone to watch this episode with us as soon as they looked at some results a lot of people were checking out uh when we asked them but nate i actually think that not having a test subject this week allows us a really great just in terms of if we're looking at the scientific method here this allows us a great opportunity to sort of check in see how our vitals are going and and i'm just curious you know we haven't actually done a show by ourselves since before Trump was president. That's how long we've been bringing other people in on this thing. How is your body feeling after, God, a year and a half of this? I mean, there, there are pros and cons to every experiment. And, you know, it, it's, I guess you could say the, the con in this would be that we are becoming normalized to this WCW Monday Nitro 2000 lifestyle. Uh, but the cons being up here, I guess the pros, uh, being up here in space, uh, you know, I feel a little malnourished, but my, my abs are looking sweet, brother. So I, I've got like that Matt Damon, <laughs> like second half of the Martian movie body. So I'm feeling real, I'm feeling real good. I mean, I got to say the biggest kind of effect I think this whole thing has happened with me, it's really throwing off my references. 
I make references to things that I think should be second nature. Like someone wears a pair of mom jeans, and I'm like, oh, you're wearing the perfect event denim collection. <laughs> they have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. You're, like, you're being a real Judy Bagwell right now, huh? What's that even mean? <laughs> I just feel so isolated from my fellow man because of this experiment. Um, but I, this this was the first episode where I, I think I'm really... Because I, I feel like you and I, we both kind of had the same, I guess, experience through this, at least in the beginning. Like, oh, we were happy to see a lot of our old favorites. Yeah, the show wasn't stellar, but it wasn't as bad as people put on. And we were happy to see people like Norman Smiley. And we we're, hey, look, a little Mike Sanders cameo. And we get a little bit of Lash LaRue. Now I feel like uh, we're really starting to check into when people think WCW 2000, these are the episodes they think about. And it's funny because when you talk about some of the names that we get to see, there is still, even though there is a lot of bad creative around these people and bad booking surrounding these people, this roster is still extremely talented. You know, when you talk about somebody like a Booker T or a Sting who we'll see on this week's episode or Lance Storm or the Great Muda, for God's sake, who who is on this week's episode. There's no shortage of talent in this company. There's no shortage of star power. You know, even talking about somebody like your boy Kevin Nash or Buff Bagwell. But the storylines that these people are put into and the positions that these characters are forced into, it, it does nobody any good, really. And so, yeah, it's like this weird juxtaposition brian like i had so many times watching this week's episode where i'm like oh this is cool we bookers on top or or stings back and then you realize what these people are being put in, in into their roles in, in in this particular episode and it's like oh it's it's like the greatest cast ever in the worst story ever yeah it's it... like if you took the cast of black panther and put them in that lifetime Aaliyah movie <laughs> it's like damn chadwick and michael b are killing it but this movie is so terrible yeah, I, I, I and you're, you're right. You're like you're hitting it. I think that's what's so frustrating for this time period, and had to have been frustrated for people because I, I, you and I, we were watching this at the same time, and I was I was younger, so for me, I didn't realize just how bad it was. I was still loving the fact that I was seeing all my favorite characters on television. I can't imagine how frustrating it was at the time to see the the star power they still have on the show. You got Sting. You got Flair sitting at home for some reason. You got Goldberg, who wasn't even seen this week. You got Steiner. You got Nash. You got Booker. All of these people. And the way that the pieces are being put together, again, we're seeing it this week. Um, now, Nate, we usually go through a, a, a hit song at this time, but I, I really just want to get this this fucking episode done with. Uh, people were listening to some Enrique Iglesias song at the time. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just go ahead and <laughs> I, jump. I, I, do have, I do have a little tidbit, Brian, yes. a little retro tidbit, because I know that is one of the parts of the show that the listeners do love is our little flashbacks. Uh, this week, though, I guess you could say I've got the flash black. Uh-oh. Huh? But this was the week where... Eddie Murphy once again ruled at the box office as Nutty Professor 2, Meet the Clumps, was the number one movie in America. Eddie Murphy's performance in the first Nutty Professor is so fucking good. Yes. Like, he should have been nominated for an Oscar for that for that role. I'm not even kidding. Especially when you look like, literally last year, Gary Ullman won an Oscar for giving the a worse version of the exact same performance in The Darkest <laughs> Hour. And Nutty Professor gets slept on. That's like the biggest example of like white privilege in Hollywood is that Eddie Murphy, laughing stock for his fat comedies, Gary Ullman, Oscar for his fat comedies. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Man, not even for us to get sl- uh, slept on. The clumps, eh. 
not so much. No, no, people can sleep on the clubs. Sorry, that first study professor was was great. Sorry, Billboard Award recipient uh, Janet Jackson, but uh, I'm going to take Jada any day in that love interest role. <laughs> I did love that song she did for the for the Clump movie. She, I didn't. I didn't Janet she... Jackson had a song on the uh, soundtrack. It was probably in the contract that she had to have a song, or, or she wouldn't be in this terrible movie. Well, that was like every singer's contract back then. Like I'm pretty sure the uh, the fucking uh, Set It Off soundtrack was only signed on so they could get a soundtrack for free out of the bunch. <laughs> Uh, so yes, that that is our our flash flashback uh, slash flash black for the week. Uh, Nutty Professor two, the clumps. If if you thought this episode of Nitro was bad, why don't you uh do a double dip and rent that this week, people? Listen, you can you can tarnish the good name of the clumps, but I wish that I had watched that before this, so we could just switch gears and talk about the clumps for an hour and a half instead of this fucking episode of Nitro. But hey, we got to jump how they, in. How they, how they booked Hercules in that dinner scene. <laughs> But hey, we gotta jump in. Let's talk about this week's episode of Nitro. Booker T has exemplified what a hero should be in and out of the ring. The crowning moments show the true emotional experience of a dedicated athlete, Booker T. We then get a promo video for Booker T's young title reign. Wait a wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Brian Man. Let's let's not gloss over this video. Okay. You call it a promo video. I call it a campaign ad because. <laughs> If Booker T was a smart man, he would use this exact same promo for his uh, mayoral campaign in Houston because the whole tone of this, Booker T is the hero that WCW needs. Anybody else would have quit in this position. I was expecting like <laughs> the announcer to be like, crime has gone down 25% since Booker T became world champion. It's like, I, I enjoy this video. It felt a little too on the nose and a little too, a little too, uh, gratuitous to to Booker as champ, but for a guy that we've talked about, Brian, he's been working hard, but the audience is still kind of slow to take to him as a top guy. I felt this wasn't bad. So, like, this is the point of the episode where I'm like, okay, we might have a good little show here. I mean, how do I put this in, in, in a polite way? I feel like Vince Russo can only see black characters as one of two things. They're either, mm. like, thug, like, hucksters – like they're a, they're an MI smooth, they're a cat, or they're God, they're a they're a young, hardworking man. There's no in between for, for for Vince Russo. So Booker T, it's like this guy, he's working pro bono, pro bono. We don't even pay him. He just loves being champion. <laughs> yes, it, it's and it's it's a problem that I would say, particularly back then, uh, was not just germane to WCW and Vince Russo. It's it's a larger discussion for another day uh, in, in terms of the way. Uh, African-American characters have been booked in pro wrestling. But yes, that there was like the very, you know, anvilicious, I guess you could say, you know, this is the guy that does things the right way. And like the line in the piece, anybody else would have quit. No, they wouldn't. Like yeah. a Flair wouldn't have quit. Sting wouldn't have quit. Like any other champion would be doing just the exact same thing as Booker in this position. But like we have to get over that. Booker is like the best of us and not just the best of of black folk but the best of all folk and and yeah it it's 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 a weird thing like I I enjoyed it I think once we get to the rock light the the Booker T as Dwayne Johnson uh the the great value Dwayne Johnson that's when I start to kind of turn on this character but for right now I think he's he's in a weird place but it's it's kind of a good place at least compared to where he'll be Right. He, we, we get to a point where he's kind of like, um, he's gridiron gang. 
Dwayne mm. Johnson is where we get, I would say. Not not quite the Fast and the Furious yet? No, no, no. I don't think Booker ever achieved that, that level. <laughs> Earlier today, a bruised and beaten Booker T arrived at the arena while his wife begged him to not go into the building. Small point, Booker T. I don't know if it was a cigar or a blackened mouth, but I love the fact that your world champ is limping, but he still has time to light up a stogie in the car. Yep. Well, that's what I like. There are those like small little things that Booker like obviously sneaks into his character, which I enjoy. <laughs> Tony welcomes us to Cincinnati, and world champion Booker T comes out wearing maybe his ugliest dress shirt yet. This this had to be from the Rand McNally fashion line. Uh, it is covered in skylines and city names. <laughs> um, I, I might have to uh, admit that I had a club shirt similar to this. Uh, it, <laughs> It, it wasn't quite the, you know, because Booker's was kind of like a forest green kind of color, yes. which I, I wasn't into. But I, I might have had like a midnight blue uh, silk club shirt with like the skyline of Atlanta on it at, at one particular time in my life. So Booker stops to kiss his future ex-wife in the front row before heading into the ring. Booker says his opponents will have to kill him before he relinquishes the world title. Booker mentions the Sting match that never was from last week, and he promises that match will happen tonight. Jeff Jarrett with a guitar then walks out, and Madden makes the most offensive call to date by saying that he is one of the best world champions ever. Jarrett says there will be no Sting match tonight. Booker says they can get it on right now, and they brawl for a bit. Jarrett takes advantage of the weakened champ and applies a figure four around the bottom rope, uh... Nate, can you explain to me how this would hurt any more than just a regular figure four? If anything, it might actually alleviate some of the pressure on the leg. I thought about that. I think the only thing that might have hurt in in terms of this particular application of the figure four is the rope kind of crotched Booker a little bit. So maybe okay. that was the added pressure. Sure, why not? <laughs> the lights go dark and a masked sting runs in. Jarrett eats a couple punches, a corner whip, and a stinger splash. Sting tosses Jarrett out of the ring, unmasks, revealing... Not a single burn mark. What a letdown, Nate. For weeks we've been told this guy's Freddy Krueger under that hood, and here he is, just just Steve Borden with Halloween makeup on. You thought he was gonna look like uh, you thought he was gonna look like Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> and he takes off the mask and he's he's just regular ass Green Lantern, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> So Sting successfully hijacks this segment by cutting a promo on Vampiro. Sting then helps Booker T up and accepts the title match. This is a Russo segment, so Jarrett then breaks a guitar over the head of Booker's wife. Uh, this was not good, but by the standards of this match, uh, this this might have been, uh, this is your life. Again, at this point in the show, while there were some things that I kind of felt, eh, didn't quite work, I was okay with this segment. I thought Booker's promo, while it, it had a couple of beats that I didn't quite like. I thought, you know, he did a good job of getting his point across, particularly, you know, we didn't give you guys the match last week that the fans wanted, and so we're going to give it to you this week. I thought the reaction shots with LaVestia, they were pretty good considering her role in the story. Uh, I thought that the Sting reveal, I wish he would have taken a little bit more time to pull the mask off, you know, but I like the Sting reveal, obviously, as, as a big fan of that man called Sting. Uh, even the Jarrett thing where he pulled LaVestia over the railing and hit her with the guitar, I like the way it was executed. Like, I might not have liked that they went that far, but the execution of said attack, it worked. So I, I would say everything in this segment wasn't perfect, but by the standards of the time, I'm still very much into this episode, Brian. Okay, uh, I think we're on separate sides of the fence, though, uh, at this point. I, I don't know, I just keep coming back to what you said in the beginning and what's kind of been the, the mantra for the show. 
these pieces are just in the wrong places. Mm. Uh, we've kind of been shown that the uh, top heel, Jeff Jarrett, is not the way to go. And I know this is a different era. They're not trying to sell pay-per-views. That would really work out gangbusters for this company. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, the, the poll last week showed you the match the audience is most interested in seeing right now is Booker versus Sting. And we're trying to establish Booker as being credible. And him having an actual long feud with Sting to yeah. establish himself as the next guy is the way to go. And maybe you you push maybe you, you push Jarrett down a little bit. Maybe Jarrett goes after goes after Nash for a month. Maybe maybe Jarrett goes after in fact at the last pay per view, Jarrett and Nash was the program for the title. So maybe you just continue that feud without the title involved. Um, well, I think the problem with that though is we're still stuck with that Sting Vampiro feud. Like I think that was one of the things watching this show where I felt why why haven't we moved on from this yet? Right. And, 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 and so a, may, I don't know. I maybe they prefer, do a tag match later in the night. That right. that we can, that way we can get Jared and Vampiro off the board, and then we can focus on Sting and Booker. Here's I would have been fine if night one he just challenged Vampiro and beat him. Hmm. Like it's it's such a, a nothing feud. Uh, right. I feel like, and not only that, but associating Vampiro with Muda and the ICP has just dropped him so much down. It's like, listen, just wipe that off, move forward. And maybe give us like uh, uh, they should for starters they should have kept uh, Scott Steiner a babyface, and then maybe get into Vampiro uh, uh, Steiner or something. I don't know. It just you look at this thing and just all the pieces are in the wrong order because you know it's something that we see in WWE right now, and 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 I, I am starting to see the the WCW 2000 and the WWE 2018 uh, parallels where. Mm. They're booking from a, a point of view and a position that is so far removed from what the the fans' perspective is. The, the only thing that the WCW has done in the last couple months that we've been watching the show that was in lockstep with where the fans actually were was putting the title on Booker. And they, they should have let it build. They should have, like, you know, let people anticipate it. But he but when that happened, that was clearly a moment that the audience bought and the audience was ready for. They didn't do it properly, but I think that was the one time where they actually listened to their fans and saying, fuck you to, 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 to Hogan. They did one right thing, but the rest of their card, they're just booking everything wrong. Right, and, and again, I think there's a way that we could have wrapped up those storylines, and that's, that's my thing. Like we, Not only do we have all of these players, but we've got all of these storylines that crisscross and intersect. And I think if I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you could have done because at the end of the day, it all goes back to Vince Russo. Right. And I don't know if you, you know if, if an editor would have worked because he would have overruled the editor. So we're we're stuck in this position where there's a there's a clear path, like there's a clear story to be told here, but we can't get to it because we've got to wade through all of these murky, muddy waters of stuff that Vince Russo's put on the table and set up. Well, as we've said, Vince is very good at, and he can actually be pretty good at, at storylines uh, when he doesn't, you know, go into his teenage brain. He's just not very good at laying out a, he's not very good at making matches, and he's not very good at laying out a show. So if someone else had maybe said, hey, Vince, these are the feuds we're building to, and here's the layout of tonight's show, he maybe could have created some good storylines and some, and some strong characters and some strong segments uh, in there. Uh, just looking at some of the feuds, I think Buff Bagwell versus Jeff Jarrett could have been a fun feud. Maybe even could have been involved, could have had you know Judy Bagwell. Who, who wouldn't like to see Judy Bagwell t- take a few guitar shots over the head <laughs> for a couple weeks? You know, that could be something uh, uh, interesting. But, but as it is, just up and down, 
we're going to look at the matches that are on here. Fucking Rey Mysterio is under contract with this uh, company. Nowhere to yep. be found on the show. That's kind of all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we had to make we had to make room for Kiwi, man. You can't keep the Kiwi off the card. Though, uh, friend of the show, uh, Lance Storm did let us know that apparently half the locker room was hung over because the night before had been Chris Jericho's uh, <laughs> wedding. So by that deduction, who probably would have been at that at that wedding? That means every decent wrestler was probably hung yes. over. Well, well, the big vetoes and the Buff Bagwells were not getting that invite. Our opening match is Buff Bagwell versus Big Vito with Judy Bagwell on commentary, a truly revolting collection of words to say. The story of this match is that Buff is too distracted by his mother at ringside to pay attention to the match. Judy says that being here might be hurting Buff's career more than helping it, which was a shoot. Buff goes outside and, and intimidates a PA, thinking that it's Canyon. Back in the ring, Vito hits a mafia kick, goes up top, but Buff trips him up. Buff gets a suplex, good enough for a two. Buff goes outside to yell at a cameraman for getting too close to his mom. Back in the ring, Buff tries for a sunset flip, but Vito sits down for the three. After the match, Vito celebrates the victory, and I celebrated that it was over. I get it, Buff's distracted, he loses a match. The guy he's losing to should not be Big Vito. Also, is Buff Bagwell supposed to be our babyface here, Brian Man? What, do you think I'm going to boo for the guy that keeps bringing his uh, 50-year-old mother to wrestling events to get attacked? Exactly my point. Like, <laughs> At some point, Buff Bagwell, you know, you are the author of your own story. You are the 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 creator of your own demise here. And and so, yes, I'm, I've lost all sympathy for one Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Also, Judy Bagwell on commentary, Brian, man. Let's, let's, not, let's not gloss over this point. For everybody that has ever disrespected the work of Michael Cole or Tony Schiavone <laughs> or even the character of Mark Madden, let me tell you, there is a, a lower level of announcing, and that is Judy Bagwell. Well, not just that, but the announcers and the guy's own mom are on commentary saying, uh, yeah, I don't think this is, uh, I don't think bringing people, uh, I don't think bringing your mom to the show is helping you. Everyone's out out there just, t like, logic, just, this is where we're such in such a weird place where, like, these storylines make no sense that the announcers can't even find a way to put them over. Scott, and that's the thing, Scott Hudson is still trying. He's trying his best. Tony's fucking given up, and Mark's gimmick is that he, he just has to call bullshit on every storyline. <laughs> and I, I love the, I think there's a moment where Judy Bagwell, like, criticizes Buff, but then she, I guess she remembers she has to be on his side, and she's like, well, you do the same thing, guys, if you were good sons. <laughs> no, no I don't think they would, Mrs. Bagwell. We go to the cat's office where Kiwi magically appears and demands a match with the artist tonight. Miller laughs this off, so Kiwi threatens him with a pair of bunny slippers. Then Kiwi snaps, get, gets in the cat's face, who gets intimidated and makes the match. Pamela Paulshuk interviews Positively Canyon, who reveals his match against Buff at the pay-per-view is now a Judy Bagwell on a pole match. Canyon promises to make Judy his Kimberly and implies that he'll make her a Nitro Girl if she fucks him. Canyon goes into Canyon Cut Pamela, but Mean Gene makes the save only to feel the bang himself. Um, I think the most revolting part of this segment was the fact knowing that Mean Gene was there and Pamela was the one doing the interview. <laughs> I mean, that was bad. Also bad was the fact that we didn't even get the Canyon Cutter to Mean Gene on camera because the cameraman, yeah. like jerk to the left and we missed the actual move well they keep booking canyon to book people who can't actually take a bump so they have to like move the camera out of the way suddenly like gene gene lay down lay down <laughs> good good 
Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, Brian. You know, I think you talked earlier about how maybe it's a nostalgia filter or maybe it's being up here on the satellite where we're in this WCW 2000 bubble. But I really liked Canyon, positively Canyon in particular, uh, coming into this show, uh, coming into this podcast. But the more we see of him, the less I like him. Like, I think I like the idea and maybe the early stuff with DDP, but all of this stuff without Paige, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's like, what What are we getting heat on? Like, if anything, this is a three-week gimmick. It's not a three-month gimmick. Mm. After the break, Buff beats up Canyon backstage. Elsewhere, Sting is searching for Jarrett while swinging his bat and beating up some garbage cans. In the arena, the artist in jeans and a t-shirt comes out rather than his usual purple one garb. Kwee comes strutting down the ring, and the artist attacks him in the entryway. These two attempt a fiery brawl, but the crowd gives zero shits. The announcers call Kwee a violent, skilled performer. The artist, German suplexes Kwee for a two. Kwee counters with a back suplex for a two. Kwee then hits the artist with a face-first powerbomb for the win. After the match, Paisley just can't take her eyes off Kwee Kiwi gets on the mic and says the boys in the back won't like him when he's angry. <laughs> so I guess he's doing uh, an incredible hetero Hulk gimmick. Uh, he gets angry and turns straight. Is, is that the, the gimmick, Nate? <laughs> Honestly, that, that sounds as bad as that sounds, Brian. That sounds better than what we've gotten so far with the character. <laughs> like, uh, like this is... And it's no no slight to the, to the actual uh, performer uh, because uh, you know we've seen him... Uh, be good but this this role just didn't good this match was terrible like I, is this what we get from uh the artist going forward because again you take away that that prince get up and he's just a guy oh no he's he's a guy who is a bad wrestler like i don't want village people uh artists going forward like if, if that's, well, that's what we're so gonna funny. he came out and i thought that he was like oh okay village people is his new gimmick but no i think he was just wearing the fucking leather daddy hat and vest to look tough i think that was to the artist that was his idea of tough guy i'm out here to have a brawl <laughs> uh, looking like uh speaking of mean gene looking like mean gene when they used to do those uh hog wild shows hog wild gene, shows? Would, <laughs> gene would dress up in the leather at sturgis to look tough and it never looked tough I think Gene took his bump in the backstage area better than the artist did uh, at any point in this match. This this was not good, but but Kiwi had uh, the kind of match that we've you know become accustomed to seeing these new power plant guys have. Like I think he has some good spots. He's maybe going yeah. a little too fast. And if I have to get, if I have to make a guess, he's probably gonna be terrible the second week because they have one highly choreographed match they can do. It's 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 a bit of a conundrum because on the one hand, I do like that we're giving the younger guys a shot, but I don't know if Kiwi is the guy we should be giving five, ten minutes of TV time to. Backstage, Scott Steiner beats up a stagehand and threatens the cat with a pipe. The cat then books Steiner in a match with Sting. Um, so I guess it's just another week of us not delivering that match, I guess. <laughs> Elsewhere, Kevin Nash stays true to his gizimic by arriving 20 minutes late to the arena. <laughs> Pamela interviews the misfits in action who declare war on Canada and Lance Storm. Rection promises to rip Storm's dick off so that he can't produce any more Canadians. We are also told that Guns and Miss Hancock will have a hardcore match later this evening. Match number three, uh, out comes our dual champion, Canadian and hardcore champion, Lance Storm. 
Lance's first piece of business is to change the hardcore title to the Saskatchewan Hardcore International title, a.k.a. the shit title. Storm then offers to change WCW into World Canadian Wrestling. Storm calls for the Canadian anthem, but the MIA runs down. So we are getting Storm versus Chavo for the cruiserweight title. Real quick, Brian, I I, I do want to give a shout-out to Lance Storm, a.k.a. the uh, future figurehead commissioner of regular-ass wrestling. Uh, for his bit of of omniscience here because he said he was going to change WCW into World Canadian Wrestling. And if you think about it, Impact Wrestling, which many would say was like the the reboot, the bad sequel to WCW, they're kind of World Canadian Wrestling now being based up north. Plus, his his podcast co-host, Don Callis, being very much behind the scenes there. It only took him 18 years. But this promo did eventually uh, come into fruition. Setting the seeds. It's a slow burn. Also, side note, and we can discuss this more on our next show when, spoiler, Lance Storm goes for the world title with zero build. Can you believe they have done such a strong fucking Canadian angle? The next pay-per-view is in Canada. (laughs) And they just give that title match on the go-home show. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's par for the course, though. It's it's Vince Russo. It just makes total sense that if we, spoiler, Lance is going to win the Cruiserweight Championship here. Would it just make sense for us to do that match in Canada? Yeah. Instead of not just like six days before when it means whatever. We'll talk about that next week when that is the match that happens. So Chavo gets the early advantage uh, as the MIA commandeers the announce booth. Uh, you shouldn't be surprised, but these two good wrestlers had a good wrestling match. Chavo goes to the top to evade Storm and does a backflip, but lands wrong on his knee. Storm tries to capitalize, but Chavo rolls him up for a two. Chavo uh, with a back suplex attempt, but Storm lands on his feet. Chavo tries a Frankensteiner, but Storm turns it into a Maple Leaf for the win, making him a Triple Crown Champion. Yes. Um, So, yes, uh, a good match, uh, a a clean finish. We're booking Storm pretty strong. No way we could fuck this up, right, guys? Our first Ah. decent segment on the show. Well, the Wolfpack music hits and outstrolls Kevin Nash. Nash mm. grabs a mic, but Storm stands up to him. One of the new guys standing up to one of the, the legends. We're really going to make Storm a big deal here, booking him on an even playing field with Kevin Nash. Nope. Nash quickly big boots the guy holding nearly every singles title in the company and throws Lance to the floor as we go to commercial. They are just determined now to have a single good segment on this show. Oh, this... This one hurt. This one hurt because we did have a good match with uh, uh, Chavo and Lance. Uh, There was uh, a bit of a slip towards the end and a little inside info. That was because the logo, uh, instead of being printed on the mat, it was painted. Oh. And it was a little slippery. And, uh, (laughs) and yeah, Lance had a slip at the end. And backstage, Arn Anderson uh, talked to Lance. And he's like, if that thing can make you guys look clumsy, it'll make the rest of these dudes look like drunks chasing a hat in a windstorm. So uh, (laughs) that's something to watch for, you know, the rest of this show. If if you're watching along at home, see how many people slip on that WCW logo in the middle of the ring. But when you talk about the Nash element of it all, why did we do this, Brian, man? Because the segment ends and we come back from break and Nash is there and really has no mention of what happened at the end of the last segment. Like Lance is not even an afterthought. He's a no thought. So I thought it would have been cool if instead of doing this, why not have, you know, Lance walking back up the ramp and Nash coming out and there's a stare down and there's, you know, a tease of what could happen in the future. And, and like you said, Lance doesn't back down from the big man, but then they both, 
continue along their way without any physical interaction. But no, we had to uh, make sure people know what the pecking order is here and, and uh, you know, uh, punk land side a little bit. It just It's so clear that Nash looked at it and Nash said, okay, I, you're booking a new guy strong. I need to let him know who's fucking boss. That's all this was. That's all it fucking meant. There, if he had to come down and beat up a guy for no fucking reason, you could have had Kiwi uh, and the artist before this. Kiwi could have gotten a rent when he could have walked away, and then maybe the artist starts yelling at Paisley. Nash comes out. Look at that. He beats up a guy we're riding off anyway, and he protected a female. Nope. He's got to come out, and the guy who you've put three of your four singles titles on got to make him look like an absolute joke. And I think there's even there's even an instance in the middle of that where like Nash makes the motion to the titles, like pick up your little titles as, as if, you know, we're completely devaluing uh, oh, yeah. the, these things. Because Nash has no interest in those titles. He's above those three titles. <laughs> when, by the way, in reality, at this point in his career, he really should have been U.S. champion. That's about where he was at. After the break, as we said, Nash is still in the ring. He starts out by saying that Goldberg has worked his way into a shoot. So, yes, not only has Nash been waving his dick all in the last segment, he's now going to go into shoot territory, guys. He says he's been wrestling for 12 years, and for those 12 years, he's been professional every night except for one time when he wrestled a guy in Montreal who didn't want to cooperate, a reference to a WWE house show match that no one fucking knows about. Nash talks about how he used to be a basketball player, but it was the football players who were always patting each other on the ass. Uh, Nate, you're you're a sports guy. It, it, do you think that's true? Are uh, are more are more football players closeted homosexuals than basketball players? Based on what <laughs> this, Nash is insinuating here, <laughs> that line didn't make any sense. Like, if, if you want to go on the spectrum of who has the most ass pats in sports, obviously it's baseball. Like, you know, baseball is is the most ass padding a sport out there and, and it's but it's baked into the culture of baseball and I, I i didn't get where he was going with this because i've been in a lot of locker rooms football baseball i wrestled in high school uh and and yes you know there are occasional ass pads but you know that didn't make me suddenly want to uh you know have relationships with my teammates <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that so yeah nash our baby face here insinuating that goldberg is somehow uh less of a man because he played football and might have been patted on the ass, and now he's on the same level as Kiwi because that's a bad thing, apparently. Like, I I, I didn't. <laughs> I thought it was kind of out of left field. Or or I guess you could say... Uh, Center uh, court. Damn, was, it, yes, out of... <laughs> Out of half court. That's that, that was almost that was almost a great analogy, Brian. I'm proud. Oh, of you. thank you. I'd pat you on the ass if you were over here. <laughs> Nashton puts over his bouncing career by saying that the football guys would go to the bars and the bouncers would kick their asses. <laughs> he says he isn't a wrestler or a basketball player. He's a fighter, which is two truths and a lie. <laughs> Nash says he can't guarantee to Goldberg that he will be a real professional at the pay per view. Since he's shooting, brother, Nash tells WCW Brass that he won't stop in his quest to get Scott Hall back. Scott Steiner then comes out with Medasia. Steiner says he doesn't give a damn about Goldberg or Nash. Steiner calls Nash a piece of shit. The two then come to blows and security attempts to break them up. Steiner beats down security and attacks Nash again. This was probably the closest to a good segment on this show, even with all the bullshit Nash stuff. Like, <laughs> they wrote a straightforward match where opponent A runs down opponent B, and then someone else involved in the match comes down and a brawl happens. 
And the, the, oh, we just can't do that. That that's too straightforward. So then you had to have fucking Nash shoot about how all football players are gay and he's a real man because he used to fucking bounce down in Tallahassee. Exactly. See, that's the thing. You know, you say this was a good straightforward segment, but I would I would argue that it didn't even start out as a good straightforward segment because we had all that stuff with Lance before the break. And then we come back and start, and it, I think his first words are, you know, some guys, you know, always like to work themselves into a shoot. And I, I haven't, I've always been professional except for that one time and against this Canadian up in Montreal and, and all this other stuff. And then he goes to the football basketball analogy for whatever reason. And it's like, ah, I'm not even really interested in this feud. Like <laughs> I'm not even interested in Nash and, and Goldberg as a straight one-on-one feud. Also, Goldberg. Goldberg is not on the show, and the character of Goldberg continues to confuse me because I don't believe that the announcers know exactly what Goldberg is. I don't know if Russo knows exactly what Goldberg is in terms of face-heel alignment because a couple weeks ago he was a face. Then last week he was a heel, and this week he's going up against Nash, and Nash is a baby face, but he's not really saying a lot of baby facious things and and he feels like a heel given the words coming out in this promo so it's like i don't want either one of these guys to go over because they're both heels to me at this point yeah and i don't know steiner as a baby face would just be so needed right now uh yes. I, I would say back in the cat's office kevin ash demands a match with steiner the cat then books a straight jacket match where you win by putting your opponent in the straight match, apparently having forgot that he booked Steiner in a match with Sting fucking 10 minutes ago, <laughs> but whatever. In Cat's defense, he is still getting over that interaction with Kiwi. I mean, if a man <laughs> slaps you across the face with bunny slippers, you you might get a little uh, frazzled. I'm just going to go on a limb here. I think Kiwi might have played uh, football uh, before he got into wrestling. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett comes out as the announcers say that Nash or Steiner might die tonight. Jarrett then calls out Sting, so there you go. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess we're getting our, our eggs back in line here. Sting walks out, and Jarrett attacks him with punches. Sting grabs a chair and hits Jarrett with it. Uh, they head back in the ring, and Jarrett crotches Sting with the middle rope as he re-enters. Jarrett then whacks Sting in the knee with a chair. He then puts him in the dreaded rope-assisted figure four, which still looks totally <laughs> painless, Sting eats a weak chair shot, but kicks out at two. Sting flips out of a suplex and hits a scorpion death drop on the chair for the win. Uh, A pretty nice finishing sequence that I'll credit uh, Johnny Ace with. Uh, After the match, Jarrett receives medical attention and is taken out on a stretcher. Um, Nate, if this show didn't take place 18 years ago, I would swear that it's Sting versus Booker T at the the pay-per-view and not Jeff Jarrett. Um... (laughs) <laughs> even though this match was fairly straightforward and pretty well worked i still can't give it like that it made sense because you're look how you're treating your main event title challenger yeah match wise this was fine and i think you know anytime you have veterans like a sting and a jeff jarrett it's not going to be terrible if you give them any amount of time uh, but it was an unnecessary match and it felt like we're trying to serve too many masters on this show like you talked about earlier with cat booking people in multiple matches and then you know we've got sting and booker t which should be our overarching theme for this week's episode but we've got the jared involvement like and as much as i like booker t i don't know if i like booker coming back uh obviously we'll get to that uh in a little bit but i don't know if i like booker coming back because i felt it kind of undercut the previous angle with lavestia so yeah I, i think 
there's a way you could have done this in a better way, obviously. Uh, maybe this could have been the main event. And But again, you've already set up Sting and Booker. And you know, if, if Booker doesn't fight Sting, he becomes kind of a liar because he promised the fans he'd give them what they wanted this week since we didn't give it to him last week. So you, you put these people in positions where it's a no-win situation almost. Yeah, I mean... Well, I'll say the next segment, this was sort of, you know, as you brought up. Um, an ambulance pulls away as Booker T arrives to the arena. Terry Taylor tells him that Jarrett has been taken out of the building and to the hospital. Um, I, I think that's that's a really big um, mistake with the Booker T character. Um, your wife being attacked uh, with a guitar, that's an angle that should take you out of the rest of the show. Yep. Uh, you should not be it, as soon as your wife gets taken to the hospital, you should not be coming back to the building. Now, if she's in the back receiving medical attention, then I think that could be an explanation for Booker still being around and wanting to get his hands on Jarrett. But the minute he leaves the building for him to come back, that looks really bad. And you know what? If, if I'm being honest here, I wouldn't completely hate um, if they had just done Sting versus Jarrett in the main event. Maybe Jarrett wins and then you do a rematch the week later where Jarrett puts his uh, his title match at the pay-per-view on the line. And Sting wins there, and just just give just fucking hot shot it there. I don't care, but it's it's so clear that Jarrett versus Booker is cold. No matter how many times Booker attacks this guy's family, the audience just doesn't care, and it's not the type of storyline that Booker needs right now. Booker's right. not at a level where he needs a personal issues feud. Booker's at a level where he needs to be beating top guys credibly that then put him over and respect him. Um, well, that's the thing they set up in the beginning of the show with the video. You know, one of the last things they said was, you know, this guy's got a bullseye. He's got a target on him. You know, everybody, you know, because he's the new champ, people think he's vulnerable and he's beaten back all of these challengers. And then in this episode, we kind of divert from that and go into, you know, Jeff Jarrett messing with this guy's wife. And yeah, I I didn't like that Booker came back, especially especially since Sting was kind of the one that took care of the bad guy. I like still, if, I, if, if if you're gonna make Booker come back, at least give him the the satisfaction of you know try being triumphant over the villain. But no, Sting had to bail him out, kind of. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna reference a TNA feud that I know you're a fan of. Uh, when they did the Sting AJ Styles kind of passing the torch thing at Bound for Glory, mm. and how that really helped establish AJ, even though they didn't follow up on it uh, at, at all. I, I mean, I guess WWE followed up on it nine years later. But, yes. uh, but but TNA never really followed up on it uh, uh, at the time. But that being the case, would AJ have gotten over so well if instead of it had been uh, a legend like Sting sort of passing the title to him, if instead it had been fucking I don't, Tyson Tomko attacking AJ's family <laughs> and then AJ beats him, uh, you know, retains the title? No, it just it wouldn't have the same no. um, strength uh, a, a, as a Sting uh, match would have. And, and you know... The Sting match we get later on certainly wasn't uh, the crowning achievement that I think Booker needed. That's another thing I have an issue with on this episode. But, yeah, to to your point of the uh, AJ Sting feud going into uh, Bound for Glory 09, which was a show, believe it or not, that was much better than this episode of Nitro we're reviewing this week. Uh, <laughs> booked by the same uh, guy, though. In his booked defense. by Russo. Yeah, it might have been the best show Vince Russo's ever booked. Because uh, I think Kurt Angle had a good match with Matt Morgan on that show. Uh, Sting and AJ was good. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of good stuff on that Bound for Glory 09 show. But in, in terms of this, I think there was a way you could have framed this show. And maybe it didn't even need to be on this show. Maybe this is something that we could have spread out to New Blood Rising, which, again, I don't know why 
the pay-per-view is called New Blood Rising because the New Blood doesn't exist anymore, but that's neither here nor there. Right. It's like, uh, guys, just call an audible. Switch switch it back. Switch it back to fucking Mayhem or whatever it was yes. before. Uh, but I thought they whatever they did to set Booker up at the beginning of the show, whether it was the promo or the stuff with LaVestia or the, the video package, they undermine it as this episode goes along. And, and I think it comes to a culmination when we get to the main event. Perfect event in matching blue jeans with no shirts join the announcers at the commentary booth. Chronic and the Dark Carnival then come out. Uh, we are getting a three-way title dance, I guess, for the tag team titles. Chronic versus Vampiro and Great Muda versus Mark Jindrak and Sean O'Hare. Um, as with every single tag segment in this company right now, there are entirely too, too many bodies. It is impossible to follow. On commentary, Perfect Event says that Brian Adams is dating Pamela Lee. In the ring, Brian Clark hits a urinagi, but Vamp breaks up the pin with a leg drop. Vamp goes to the top, and Jindrak counters the Frankensteiner. O'Hare falls up with a senton bomb. O'Hare follows Vamp, but Adams rolls up Muda at the exact same time. The match is declared a tie for whatever reason. So Chronic <laughs> retained the tag titles. Uh, at 519. After the match, Chronic and the Power Plant rookies get into a shouting match, and Chronic hits them with the belts. Muda then comes in and hits the mist onto Chronic. Vamp and Muda then pose with the tag title belts. Reminder, they are the only team in this segment not going for the tag titles at the next <laughs> pay-per-view. This was way too long, way too confusing. I, I don't know why Vince Russo... Um, or whoever made this, why we're getting so many bodies constantly for these tag team titles. Um, it's just, it's too much. And I get they're trying to establish that there's chaos for these belts right now, but if there's one thing they've also proven, they are unable to make logical sense of any segment involving more than two people. Yeah, and it really does nothing for Chronic. Like, you talk about Booker not being set up in the best place as a champion. I don't think they've done any any right by Chronic in this situation either. And the one thing that Vince Russo has achieved, and I will give him credit for this because I never thought this would happen, Brian Man. This is a monumental achievement. Uh, he has made it so that whenever the great Muda shows up on, on my, my TV or my laptop, uh, I, I go to the bathroom and take a pee break because... <laughs> I know it's not going to be a good segment, man. You got one of the greatest Japanese wrestlers ever, one of the greatest imports ever in, in professional wrestling. And there's something that could be there with him and Vamp, but they don't, it's like they don't utilize it. It's the recurring theme of this show. Uh, you've got so much talent and you don't know how to use it. It's like Vince Russo went to Toys R Us, uh, RIP, and bought all the toys. <laughs> But he doesn't know how to use them. Like, he's got the, the, the Millennium Falcon and the Death Star. And then he's got the, the Hall of Justice. And then he's got the, the complete Voltron set. And he's got all these toys. He can make the greatest afternoon of play ever, but he doesn't know how to book them. And you got Voltron over here doing something stupid. And the Thundercats are over here making gay jokes with He-Man. And it's, it's like you're wasting all of these tools and all of these resources. Yeah, and the whole time, uh, Russo's just eating Play-Doh in the corner. <laughs> Following last week's sex tape drama, the cat books Shane Douglas and Billy Kidman in a Viagra on a pole match. Wait, you you mean you mean the legendary famed Viagra on a pole match? We're gonna get that this week, Brian. Uh, yes. Uh, known worldwide from the theme song to this show, 
Uh, the Viagra <laughs> on a pole. I don't want to talk too much about the setup of the match because we'll get into it when the match occurs. Elsewhere, Booker and Sting exchange pleasantries and confirm that their match will still happen later tonight. Pamela interviews Jindrak and O'Hare, who cut a 101 wrestling school promo calling Chronic a bunch of crap. On 15 seconds build, we are getting Shane Douglas and Billy Kidman in a Viagra on a pole match. <laughs> Boy, they really gave time to make us anticipate this one. As franchise comes to the ring, we get a recap of all the sex tape drama uh, from last week, including franchise attempting to make his own sex tape on Thunder, but failing to get an erection. Kidman <laughs> hits the ring as Madden runs down the long history of Viagra on a pole matches. Remember, these two are having a straight wrestling match at the pay-per-view. This is how we're building to it. Tony pipes in, reminding us that we still have a women's hardcore match happening later on tonight. Tori trips Kidman, which allows Douglas to hotshot him into the top rope. Douglas kicks Kidman and gives him a rolling neck snap. Scott and Mike then make boner jokes as Tony attempts to put over this feud. Kidman whips Douglas and goes for a back body drop, but Douglas counters with a Pittsburgh plunge. On commentary, Tony just yells at Madden to shut up. Douglas goes for the bottle, but Kidman powerbombs him. Madden jokes that the bottle isn't the only thing that can be used as a weapon, I guess it's insinuating these guys are going to hit each other with their stiff dicks. <laughs> Kidman tries for the pills, but gets back suplexed. Tori needlessly distracts the referee as Douglas goes for a backdrop suplex. <laughs> Kidman counters, hits a Kidmakazi. He then grabs the bottle of Viagra, but... Douglas hits the franchiser onto the bottle. Viagra spills all over the place, and the ref calls for the bell, giving Shane the win. Shane then triumphantly holds up the Viagra label on the top rope. Tori rubs Kidman's face into the pills. As if this couldn't get any more ridiculous, the, the guys who just spent the last five minutes making dick jokes remind us that overdoses aren't funny, and neither was this match. Um, I... Here's the weirdest thing I'm going to say about this thing. Mm. It's kind of a shame because this wasn't a bad match from a work rate standpoint. These two actually, <laughs> I felt like, clicked pretty well. But unfortunately, there was a bottle of Viagra literally hanging over this match. You know, Brian, man, I'm, I'm not, you know, the biggest capitalist. I'm not all about the money, you know. But it's time like these where I wish we had a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we, we could kind of take a break and talk to the audience. So, you know, like we talk about so many great competitors, but there's one person who needs to be defeated. And that's erectile dysfunction, folks. <laughs> Did you know 30 percent of men under 40 and 40 percent of men under 50? No, that... <laughs> oh, because that's the only value from this Viagra on a pole match is if we had a sponsor that, uh, you know, sold testosterone enhancement or ED pills. But this match was just bad it 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 wasn't a bad match it was a bad idea that was thrown onto this match and you know you talked earlier about kind of the build that we've seen over the weeks with these two guys and it's a situation that i found commonplace on this show where i don't really like either person like shane douglas shane douglas is obviously a, a bad guy but billy kidman's kind of a creep as well, you know, with the whole sex tape thing. And it's like, you know, just just move on, bro. Just, you know, let it go, man. And so because I don't care about either two of these guys, I don't really care about this match. And then you throw a stupid step on top of it, and it deserves the reputation that it's gotten, you know. And it's 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 like, why, why, did, why did we have this? Why did we have this, Brian, man? 
Well, I mean, you bring up a pretty uh, hard, uh, a pretty tough thing in any feud. Uh, you don't like any either person, which is a major problem. And and especially when you take Billy Kidman, who, boy, the fucking roller coaster this guy's been on <laughs> this year. Um, one of the more likable dudes in this company. And, and you know, we were talking earlier about Jeff Jarrett. If you remember, Jarrett and Billy had a really good match, and yeah. I would be perfectly okay with those two having some sort of program. I think you could do a lot there. I think it could be really you know, pretty, pretty decent. Um, you know, both of them have been, uh, you know, uh, completely belittled by Hulk Hogan and could really use some rehab and maybe they could rehab each other, you know, be each other's sponsors when it comes to getting their heat back. That would work. That would be an effective use of both guys. I think, you know, you'd give Jeff somebody he'd go out there and have a good match with. And with Billy, it, it would be somebody to elevate him. You know, it would be a veteran that unlike, uh, Terry, uh, would actually go out of his way to help the younger guy mm -hmm. uh but no instead we've got shane and billy here ostensibly fighting over tory wilson and we've got the added benefit of uh viagra who i don't know if viagra contributed <laughs> to the like the only way this match makes sense brian is if viagra paid for all the free pub they were getting for this match oh come on they were getting more free publicity than this every night in jay leno's monologue they did not need to pay <laughs> for for this <laughs> and I think, and I just, you know, in the year 2000, even at this point, I don't need to see uh, Shane Douglas in any singles matches. He's been good here or there, but he, he feels like exclusively a tag wrestler or a manager at this point. Mm. We go backstage where Miss Hancock finds major guns in the women's locker room, and the two brawl into a shower. Don't worry, they didn't miss the opportunity to turn the water on. <laughs> on commentary, Mark jokes that major guns has experience in hardcore, which would become a shoot years later. <laughs> These two then brawl into the catering area. Hancock gets hit in the face with a cake. Gunn then counters with Twinkies. We then cut to the ring where the wall is beating on David Flair for no fucking reason. I have no no idea how, why this was going on. Wall brings a table into the ring and the ladies enter the arena. Guns and hits chops in the corner. Hancock reverses, Hancock reverses a whip and Gunn goes through the table. Hancock then hits a scoop slam for the win. Uh... Which oh, this whole thing was shit, but I got that was kind of impressive doing that in heels. After the match, Hancock strips guns of her top as the wall chases her out of the ring. Uh, again, this was trash. This was garbage, and it continues. <laughs> what was this? The third or fourth segment where two people who will be facing each other at the pay per view just have a singles match on the show. Yes, uh, but I will give Vince Russo credit for match placement, Brian. If you're going to have this gratuitous TNA match that doesn't serve a purpose, you might as well put it after the segment where you were hawking boner pills. <laughs> like, it's 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 synergy right there, Brian, man. Uh, the, the other thing with this is when you talk about putting people in the proper places, yes, there was some athleticism there with Stacey Keebler and even Miss Hancock, to uh, Major Guns to a certain extent, but why did we need this stipulation or this this segment it, it's kind of like the mixed tag match we had a couple was it, was it a mixed tag or was it just them one-on-one -on -one? uh these two yeah because i remember chavo got involved and flair got involved I... oh i think that might have just been a, a brawl segment i don't think it was an actual if i if i okay. no i think it was like flair and chavo maybe had a match but that's it a... and, and that's that, that see this is proving my point none of this stuff resonated 
none of this stuff sucked because it didn't matter. Ultimately, it was as empty and as as uh, saccharine as those Twinkies in the backstage segment, Brian May. Well, and, and, and you know, I, okay, you just want to have a segment where, like, people are ripping each other's tops off. Okay, WWE was doing the same thing at the same time. But they yeah. at least, like, found, like, kind of a more creative way to get to it, if that makes sense, where it's like, just... I, I don't remember them ever just booking two performers just as a shitty, straightforward, hardcore match like this. And, like, putting... I just No thought was put into how we got to the end result. You know, the end result is the same, but it's the dots. The dots just never make sense with Vince Russo. No, it, it did not. Uh, like even, I, And I'm a sucker, Brian, man. You know, call me a, a, a simple man, if you will, but <laughs> I'm a sucker for food fight segments in movies and TV shows, but this wasn't even a well-done food fight segment, like back there in catering. Like it, Even that felt lazy and perfunctory. <laughs> oh, that's the thing. If you had just done a food fight segment, I think if you had, like, you know, if, if you had honestly, like, I'm not even kidding, and this was something WWE probably would have done at the same time, I would have had less issue if they had just booked that they're going to have a food fight in the ring. I would have been yeah. much more uh, uh, okay with that. Or if you would build this as a pie-eating contest, literally. <laughs> and you just you just had Hancock and, and guns out there It was because it, it's just an excuse to have them in the ring together. Yes. And you could have had, you know, like, she's got David with her and the MIA is with major guns. And then a brawl, you know, happens in some way. And they start throwing pies at each other. Okay. Same dumb end result, but I could have respected that. Uh, uh, I could have respected the simplicity of that a little bit uh, a little bit more. Backstage, Kidman hits on some Nitro girls who can't stop talking about his chemically enhanced dick. They beg him <laughs> to take them back to his hotel. The group leaves as Tony warns everyone at home that you should not take these pills if you have a heart condition. Um, Nate, I'm going to go on a limb. I think Vince Russo is a virgin. <laughs> uh, Brian, man, I like. Here's the thing. Okay, you know, we might have some listeners uh, that that might be up there in age and and might have to face, you know, dreaded low T or or the the <laughs> the, the ravages of erectile dysfunction. And you know, we sympathize with you brothers out there. But has there ever, you know, maybe may, I don't know. You know, I'm maybe maybe you being up there in, in in New York, brother, things a little bit more open and free than they are down here in the South. But is like dudes just younger guys, like young dudes that should not need Viagra. Is that a turn on to women? Like this guy is like 25 and he's got a pocket full of Viagra. We're going to party. Is that is that a thing? That was a weird thing for a while. Right. When Viagra came out that like even young guys were taking it because they thought like it helped them last longer or something. That's not what it does. You know, <laughs> like that's not the thing. I mean, I, I Billy would have been. Probably, Billy probably wouldn't better if he got, like, those weird fucking capsules that they have at, like, 7-Elevens by the fucking cash register. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, they made it seem like he took Viagra, and so, like, his dick is now bigger, and he'll be able to fuck longer, and these three co-workers just gotta <laughs> jump him right now. I mean, I was kidding before, but material like this that we see up and down the show... Vince Russo might actually be a virgin. I don't know if he has ever had sex with a woman. He could be a virgin, and that would certainly explain his popularity amongst them online. <laughs> yeah, there is a Vince, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I never can get them straight, <laughs> but uh, one one or the other would have a field day. Just going back and watching these shows and getting into the mind of Russo and some of his. 
ideas about sex and and women and and a male's role in society. <laughs> Funny enough, of all like we've been talking shit on Vince Russo now for what we said at the beginning of the show a year and a half now. I I almost think that us joking that he's never had sex with a woman would probably be the first thing that legitimately piss him off, and that he would feel like he'd have to go online and set the record straight. <laughs> Listen, bro, I have made love to many various women. I never played football, bro. And, and, and I got a I got a subscription to the Viagra Club. I I'm 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 a hot catch, bro. That's why he's always trying to do pole matches. <laughs> it's all it's all a metaphor. So Scott Steiner makes his entrance, and don't worry. The, the double entendre dick uh, times don't end. Uh, he comes out and just starts talking about his orgies. <laughs> Nash uh, then comes out. We are getting our straitjacket match. Uh, Nash gets some side slams and goes for a pin attempt before realizing, you can't win this way. It's a straitjacket match. Nash goes for some knee lifts in the corner. He then frames up for the elbow, and, uh, you know, he does it. Nash then follows up with, uh, you know, you guessed it. A boot choke. All the greatest hits from our, our man, Big Kev. Medeja interferes, allowing Steiner to hit a low blow. The announcers inform us that Vince Russo will do an interview on Thunder, hopefully to apologize for this show. Nash has done every move he knows, so he just, time to do the lazy selling for the next couple minutes. Hudson warns us that this match might go till 4 a.m., clearly never having seen a Kevin Nash match before. Nash counters a Steiner charge with a boot. Nash hits the snake eyes into a choke slam. Medeja who is, her arms are so tiny, she can barely lift the steel chair, then hits the weakest chair shot you've ever seen to Nash's back. Nash, the babyface, responds by killing her with a powerbomb. Rick Steiner runs in, but Nash takes him out. Nash goes to powerbomb Rick, but then Steiner makes the save. Scott puts the Steiner recliner on, and then Rick helps Scott place the the straight jacket onto Nash. Scott checks on Medeja as Rick continues to beat on Nash. The match never really ends. We just go to break. <laughs> um, why do we keep... This is what's so frustrating, is not only are we giving away the matches we're building to at the pay-per-view, but we're doing them in shitty ways that couldn't even excite you. Like, if these two had had, like, an actual, like, crazy... Which I don't think any of these guys were capable of doing anymore in the year 2000. But if these two had had, like, a halfway decent match, a really good brawl, I can understand then coming back and saying, Oh, shit, if you had a crazy step on this, I'll want to pay to see it at the pay-per-view. You got everything you could want to see here. I mean, and if you wanted to go the way of a crazy step, it wasn't great, but it certainly was better than this straitjacket match. You could have gone back to the, the, the Scott Steiner cage that we had. Yeah, I don't week. think that thing ever comes back ever again, by the way. Like, at least that, you know, I think would have visually been a bit more impressive than this. And it, the crazy thing is, Brian, I remember the straitjacket match all these years later. This is one of the few points on this show, other than the, the legendary Viagra on a pole match, that I actually remember from this episode. And I don't know if it's because it was so bad or if it's because I actually liked the idea of the straitjacket match back in 2000. But for whatever reason, like this match stuck with me, and I I can't tell you why because going back and watching it again, it's a nothing match, and again, a waste of the star power of these two guys. Yeah, I mean, and you you, you said it right there. You hit the nail on the head. The star power. These are two guys that still have legitimate star power. Uh, Scott Steiner's definitely on the rise in terms of we're trying to get him to that main event status, but I feel like both of these guys, their star power. It's really, it's really starting to, 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 to weaken 
by doing things like this, uh, by giving away these sort of uh, feuds and these sort of matches. Because you look over at WWE, they weren't given away, you know, uh, on, on a weekly basis, The Rock versus Triple H. They would have them in the ring together. They would do things. They would have interactions. But a lot of times, you'd get The Rock versus Kane. You know, that's why it's important to have, like, those higher mid-level people, which is, quite frankly, where Jeff Jarrett should be. Jeff Jarrett yeah. should be the guy who can talk trash for an hour and a half and then get beaten up by Booker T at the end of the, at the, end of the match or at the, at the end of the show. Um, you know, to a certain regard, Buff Bagwell should maybe be in that level where he's a baby face you pull for all night and then Scott Steiner beats him at the end of the show. Instead, we have Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner, two guys who should be kept separate. Uh, the brawl they had earlier should have been the end of their interactions on this show. But instead, we're given the full match. And it's a dumb feud. And it makes everyone involved look bad. Main event time, Sting versus Booker T for the world title. Yes, the fans voted for it, and now they're getting it seven days later. Uh, these two obey the code of honor with a handshake to start. Booker's in Sting to the corner, but he eats a boot to the face. Sting tries for the death drop, but Booker reaches for the ropes. Sting works over the leg, goes for the death lock again, but Booker makes it to the ropes. Booker hits an axe kick, but that ends up injuring his leg even more. Sting rolls outside... Just as the match is getting started, but a mysterious figure pulls him under the ring. They just <laughs> they just don't want to have any decent segments on this show. Sting comes out from under the ring. He is now busted open. Sting gets in the ring, but get this. He's still on offense. Yes, that mystery attack meant fucking nothing. Didn't cause the finish. Sting's still going at it. He hits a DDT, only getting a two. Sting tries for the death drop, but... Booker counters with the book in for the win. Another fun little finish. Johnny Johnny Ace is probably the silver lining of this show. He's putting some in some interesting finishes. Uh, yeah. So we're Booker did, does it. He beats uh, Sting. Uh, we'll pause here. Talk about just the match before we get into the post match. Um, yeah, this was not the match it should have been. This is not the match I would have want Sting and Booker T. I, I would not want their first clash over the world title to be this match. Uh, I'd want it to go 15 minutes. I'd want it to be at the pay-per-view. I'd want it to be a couple weeks build. We're not going to get that. But even with that caveat, five minutes with this dumb interference, the backdrop of another storyline, I, I guess what – that's the thing Like that's, again, so frustrating with Vince Russo is that he doesn't get that in wrestling especially, but almost in all storytelling, you can really only tell one thing. You can only get one point across at once. Um. And right now, the point they're feeding across is that Booker T is a big, credible champion. And they're not. They just think they put the belt on the guy, and that's it. Right. Let me go back. Uh, let me start the finish and, and, and go back to the beginning. You know, let's, let's do this memento style. Uh, because I really enjoyed that finishing sequence. Like, the, the reversal of the Scorpion death drop into the bookend. Like, that should have been a pay-per-view finish right there. Yeah. Like, Booker T gets the big moment and beats your legend clean in the middle of the ring. Uh, that was great. But then what made this match not so great is we had to include the demon and the vampiro stuff, you know, and, and we had to take away from what should have been a, I don't know if it's a career defining moment, but it certainly should have been a big moment for Booker T. Right. To beat Sting. And at the end of the match, eh, it really didn't feel that way. And I think also having that heel interaction involvement uh, with, with the demon and having Sting kind of chase after him at the end of the match, to me, it takes away from 
what I really enjoyed about this pairing is that you had two good guys who wanted to be good guys. And I thought that, you know, even going back to the beginning of the show where you had Sting's, you know, saving Booker. And he's like, if you're up to it, brother, we'll fight at the end of the show. And then he's the one that steps up and defends Levestia's honor when Booker has to go with his wife to the hospital. Like, this is a story I should I should have seen play out over weeks. Like, this is very much the – it's Rocky Three, without all right. the extra stuff before. Like, it's Apollo and Rocky on the same page and working together, but they still want to be the best. And, and so I, I thought that there was a way, man, you could have done this and have it play out really dramatically and, and have a great match to boot. Uh, but we didn't get that. Uh, but – what we did get was a decent TV match. Like I, I was into it basically because I like both of these guys. This was, this was kind of the opposite of the Kidman Douglas match in that that was a good match that I wasn't into because I didn't care about either guy. This match wasn't the best match I've seen, but I like both of these characters and was invested in them. So it probably elevated the match more than it had any right to, given what Russo had booked. Right, and and I gotta say I like the the Rocky Creed sort of analogy. I think that could have been a really fun element to play with. I, I would have liked if and here's because Sting probably should just be a straightforward babyface babyface feud where in the end Sting puts him over. But I also yeah. wouldn't mind if his first program had been bear with me here Kevin Nash. Uh, I think there could have been a way to make that interesting. Where if you had done uh, the storyline where it's you know, Kevin Nash, you know, you're the new guy, you're the champion. It starts out as babyface versus babyface. But over a while, over a while, that cockiness starts to come out of Kevin Nash. And he's like, you know, and eventually towards the end says, you don't belong up in this place. And I've tried to be, I've tried to be polite to you, but I'm really mm. getting fucking pissed off that you're walking around here thinking you're the champ. You're a fluke. It was a mistake. And at the pay-per-view, we're going to set the record straight. And then in the end, Booker beats him. You know, I, I think yeah. the, the the best feud that could have happened is if they had really treated things um, the way – if, if they would have just been a little more straight and a little more realistic with this, which is this guy got a shot on a fluke, and it was a shock win, and no one takes him seriously. And he's right. constantly having to prove everybody wrong. And he proves them wrong by beating them in the ring. And that's an impressive – that's a story you can tell for six months that you tell yeah. – you, you can also tell that story up through Starcade, and the final guy is Goldberg. That that could be a really impressive – like that's a long-term story that if our goal is to make Booker T our champion and, and, and a main eventer, you know, that's a way to do it. But – this whole time, and what we're gonna finally see down the line is that book is that Booker isn't really long term project. Scott Steiner is, and Scott Steiner's <laughs> gonna hold the title for a lot longer uh, than Booker would end up holding it here uh, uh, towards the end. But uh, yeah. yeah, and and to real quick, you know, kind of uh, reinforce that point, like that might have been the the biggest issue I had with this episode of Nitro in that. If you just go by the first 10 minutes of the show, it was setting up something really cool with Booker. But by the end of the night, he's almost an afterthought. And he's, he's the world week. champion. Yeah. Yeah, every week he's the afterthought. Remember his first night for the t uh, where he's champion? He didn't even main event. He was the middle of the show, and the main event was a four-way uh, match for, for the title shot at the pay-per-view. Yeah. What, what would have made the most sense was the main event being him versus Canyon because Canyon beat him the night before. 
If I'm Canyon, I'm pissed. I beat the guy at the pay-per-view, and I still have not gotten a one-on-one title match. And you wonder why he's out here beating up people's mothers. <laughs> and so, mean Gene. <laughs> after the match, Sting pulls the demon out from under the ring. He's the guy that bloodied him up but did not affect the outcome of the match in any way whatsoever. <laughs> Vamp and Muda then charge the ring. Muda, another person who would be a better world title uh, challenger than Jeff Jarrett. Charge the ring as the demon gets beat on. Jeff Jarrett then shows up in the crowd back from the hospital. The steel, the heels stomp on Sting as Jarrett attacks Booker with a chair. Meanwhile, a rope lowers from the ceiling and Jarrett ties Booker's leg with the rope. No idea who the mystery person lowering this rope is. <laughs> on the stage, the dark carnival puts Sting in the kiss coffin and the demon lights it on fire. I guess they've remembered that the demon and Sting are having a match at the pay-per-view. Mm. Jarrett hits one more guitar shot on Booker's leg as we fade to black. Um, mm. Really the perfect end for this terrible fucking episode. Um... It's just so upsetting to see Sting. You know, every, you know, we've spent this entire show repeatedly dream booking. What could this Booker-Sting feud from 18 years ago been? How could this have made him <laughs> such a big deal and really established Sting as the legend in the locker room? And then this, just it reminds you, oh yeah, that's right, Sting's being fucking drugged down with a demon storyline. Here's the thing, if he's going to yep. come back and feud with the demon and feud with the Dark Carnival, I'd rather he just stay in that lane and we don't even tease him being in the world title program at all. Just keep him down there and wait until you're ready to bring him up. Brian, man, I, I, I know that this wasn't good, but let's let's try to be positive and optimistic. Uh, okay, we, talk about, <laughs> we talk about Vince Russo gaining his influences from TV and movies. Maybe... This was Vince Russo's ode to Empire Strikes Back, where, spoiler alert, at the end, the good guys are on the ropes and, and things are looking bleak and, and we don't know what's going to happen with, with Luke and Han and Chewie and, and Lando and Leia. Oh, wait, but, I thought but, you were going to say uh, we find out that Sting is the demon's father, which would make this storyline a lot more interesting. That actually would have been great. <laughs> Vampiro, I am your father. That's not possible! Uh yeah. But but yeah, this was this wasn't good. Uh, the only thing that I enjoyed about this closing segment was that Booker was uh, strung up by his legs. So like okay, because I had a moment, Brian, where you know my 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 spidey senses were tingling. I was like, no, Vince Russo, don't do this to me. Uh, but he didn't he didn't go where I thought he was gonna go. So I, I took a breath and and was able to, to just uh, enjoy regular terrible programming and not over the top terrible programming. Uh, but no, this, this was way too convoluted. Like it was that Spider-Man three problem of too many damn villains. <laughs> like why, why do we have Vampiro and the demon and Muda, uh, all of who are being used probably in the wrong capacity, except for maybe the demon. Like he should at this point just be a henchman. Uh, then we've got Jared and we've got whoever the mystery rope guy is. And yeah, the, the coffin thing, it's, it's over the top. It, it felt like what could have and should have been a simple story between Sting and Booker of who's better and, you know, Booker, do you really deserve this title becomes just another Vince Russo angle. And it didn't do Sting any favors. It certainly didn't do Booker any favors. And by the end of the night, if Jeff Jarrett is supposed to be this hated guy, it like it, it kind of fell flat because I'm thinking more about Sting getting burned than whatever Jeff is trying to do to Booker. Yeah. I mean, I just up and down this show, what's so heartbreaking is that 
you see these amazing performers and you see what they're being used for. And it's a shame because they still have so many decent workers. They still have so many, you know, actual people that would be considered stars. I mean, what, what's so funny is when you and I will have, you know, the weeks when we have test subjects on, they'll just look and be like, wow, the amount of star power on the show. And this was a show that was undoubtedly in second place. They were not doing very well at all. They were getting their asses kicked, but they still had so many decent pieces. But yeah. so much comes back to Vince Russo doesn't understand what makes a good wrestling match. He doesn't understand what makes a good pairing. So he doesn't ever know what the right destination is. And if you don't even know, if you're not even headed to the right place, then yeah, how can the journey be enjoyable? You mentioned Sting and the Demon. Why is the Demon having singles matches? We know he's not good enough. And I get it. You want to do this because you're eventually going to build to build the Vampiro. Well, A, Mood is there. Mood and Sting have a bit of a fucking history. You can play <laughs> off that. In fact, I would love it if maybe Sting came back and he's like, guys, I don't know what's up with this fucking business. I sat at home recovering from being burned alive. This is insane. I watched DDP retire. And honestly, me and Paige have been talking. And he's the happiest he's been in years. And you know what? I think I need to follow his lead. I've had a great career. It's time to step away. And then Muda can come out, not associated with Vampiro, just straight Muda, and says, you know what? If you want to retire, that's fine. But I want I want you one last time. And you do that at the pay-per-view. Like, there's, like... Yeah. And, and honestly, I'm so much more interested in that match one last time than, than, than fucking Flair and Funk that we got at the beginning of the year, you know? <laughs> they have so many interesting... It's fuck Sting versus Shane Douglas... I wouldn't even necessarily care about. Like, they have so many great pieces, but Vince Russo just does not understand what makes a good pairing. What will make, and that's why we need to these pay-per-views, and oh my God, I'm so glad we don't do these pay-per-views. They're so fucking unwatchable. People don't have any chemistry, or they're having matches they've already had four times on television already. And the thing with the pay-per-views is, it's the it's all of Russo's weaknesses. Like, it's if there's one thing maybe that you can say, Brian was positive about Russo is that he he could come up with interesting ideas for TV. But when you get to a pay-per-view, it's not about the angle so much. It's not about the storylines. It's about, you know, can we pay off this this uh, situation in the ring? And when you've got people that are mixed-matched and, and put in there with guys that they really shouldn't be in there with and people that, that we don't care about because we haven't connected to the stories – it's no wonder their pay-per-view business was tanking because, yeah, if, if I'm a fan of Booker T, am I paying to see him fight Jared again? Probably mm -hmm. not. Like, you know, God bless Lavestia, but I, I wasn't that invested, uh, that invested in Lavestia. <laughs> that's a that's one for you, John Pollock. I wasn't uh, that invested in Lavestia that I need to see this guy, you know, I need to drop 30 40 bucks to see this guy on pay-per-view beat jeff jarrett so yeah it, it's not surprising why their business faltered at the same time their their storytelling was so scattershot now here's the thing we've been doing a lot of fantasy booking here and people who've like maybe come to to know us through keep it a 2000 don't know about the old review and impact days what if we used to enjoy doing some fantasy booking back then. You and I, we rarely get the satellite to ourselves. What if we do a little bit of uh, of, of fantasy booking right now, Nate? How do you feel about that? Honestly, I, I could use a little bit of fantasy right now. You know, going coming off of this episode, I could I could use a break. 
hey man, I better not see you climb up that pole just yet. <laughs> so I'm gonna I've got up the new blood rising card. And how about we go ahead and try to come up with a better card for this pay-per-view? All right. So our main event, Booker T versus Jeff Jarrett. Who would we rather have uh, face? Uh, who would we rather have face Booker for the world title? We got two paths here. We can go the Sting route. We can go the 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 Lance Storm route. Which which would you say? Ooh. And where is uh where is this pay per view taking place? This is taking place in uh the beautiful province of British Columbia. It's in Vancouver. Uh, I'll go the Lance Storm route. You go the Lance Storm route, okay. I personally, uh, it's tough because with book, like if anyone else was world champion, I might go the other right. But we're trying to make Booker T our big deal, so True. that's the that's the one thing that makes me hold off. Uh, in, in, unless Lance is winning the belt, which love, I love Booker T, but if you're asking me, t- watching this show, who should be the champion, I think it's Lance Storm. I, I, I would go, I mm. would just, I would keep going that route, uh, because I don't think Booker's necessarily clicking, uh, a- at that level. If anything, I would almost love to see Booker lose the title after one month and become like this sort of bitter heel who maybe even becomes like a little conspiracy minded. That the company, like, you know, because, and, 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 and there's the whole thing of like, hey, like, was he a fluke champion? Who knows? Or maybe he's a babyface who has to, who has to get back that title. Um, I don't know. Or maybe Lance wins it for just a month. I would have been fine with that too. But, um, but actually, I don't know. So I got the Sting. I'll go the Sting route since you have gone the Lance route. How about that? So Sounds those are good. our main events. Next match down on the card was Kevin Nash against Goldberg and Scott Steiner. What are we doing with these guys that's better than this? <laughs> uh, is there a way I can eliminate Kevin Nash from this match? Because <laughs> part of me is like, the like Nash, I, I get Nash has star power. And he's, you know, he had a, we even see on this show, you know, he can still get a good reaction. But... To me, Goldberg Steiner's the more intriguing match one on one. Yep, I agree. So uh, we'll agree there. Our second from the top is Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner. Goldberg and Scott Steiner. Uh, Goldberg Scott Steiner. I mean. Next, we have Lance Storm against Mike Awesome. Ooh. You know what? If if this you know this is fantasy world, so Kevin Nash has to do whatever I tell him to do. Kevin Nash puts over Mike Awesome here. Okay, okay. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Um, I would maybe do Lance Storm against maybe... Um, I mean, here's the thing. If I would say Lance Storm versus the Great Muda. Ooh. Because I would want to give him... And that's the thing. They faced each other uh, in... No, they didn't. They didn't face each other uh, uh, in the tournament. I would do Lance Storm and the Great Muda. Uh, it's an impressive match. It could be a fun match, and it's still a match that Landstorm can win because you'll want to give him a big win in Canada. And he yeah. can cheat, so the people at home will still kind of boo him. Sting versus the Demon. Now, I already have the Sting in our main event, so who are you going to have Sting face on this card? I am going to take a page out of something you just said, and I'm going to go Sting Muda for one last time. Okay, okay, I like that. I'm going to have Sting 
Sting's in my main event, so I can't I can't take that back. Uh, Major guns. What are you gonna do with the demon? (laughs) What am I gonna do with the demon? Uh, you know. uh, How do you solve a problem like Dale Torbor? Um, no, I'm gonna say I would I would be having maybe the demon and Vampiro just as a tag team right now. Okay. How about that? So they're doing something there. Uh, Major Guns and Miss Hancock. I assume we both uh, don't want this match to take place. I mean, we gotta have something for 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 the uh, heterosexual males in the audience, Brian. Man. Oh, we have to. God God knows they're being ignored the rest of the time on this show. <laughs> this Viagra's not gonna sell itself, brother. <laughs> Billy Kidman and Shane Douglas. Uh, mm. I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with Billy Kidman and Jeff Jarrett. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, there's really no reason we should be having this match after the Viagra on the pole match. Like to me, that should have been <laughs> that yeah. should have been the end of the feud. Um, I think what I want to see here is I like Billy and Jarrett, but let's see who do I still have available. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Billy Kidman and. Vampiro, because they had a good, uh, they they had some good matches earlier in the year. I'm okay with that. I don't hate that. And I haven't used Vampiro yet on my on my show, so I'll, I'll go Billy and Vampiro. You have not, and I'm gonna say so. Our next match down is Chronic, a four corners match. Chronic against the perfect <laughs> event against Jindrak and O'Hare and against the Misfits in action. If that wasn't enough bodies for you, this match ends up having the entirety of the Filthy Animals as the special guest referees. Ah. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use uh, a little bit of a change here. Uh, you know that that match sounds good, but not good enough to keep. Uh, I'm gonna say Chronic versus Vampiro and the Demon. Okay. You know what? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna make an amendment. I'm gonna make an amendment. Then. Okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with you on that. Chronic and uh, Chronic versus Vamp and the Demon. And instead of Billy and Vamp, I'm gonna go Billy versus Ray. Okay. Get a really good that, that that might even be my opener, like a good fifteen minute Billy Kidman versus Rey Mysterio match. Now here's the thing: you bring up Rey Mysterio, I'm gonna have Rey Mysterio, but in a very different way. I would actually have Lance Storm face uh, Lance Storm defend all three of his titles in one night. Ooh, okay. So I would have Lance uh, probably opening the show with Rey Mysterio. Uh, you then maybe give him some sort of like meaningless brawl with uh, maybe Big Vito gets a rematch for the title, you know, partially, you know, halfway through the show. Uh, maybe. Oh, I know. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. I got it. I got it now. First off, it's him versus Ray for the cruiserweight title. He beats Ray. Okay. Okay. Then you get halfway through the show. You get Lance versus Mike Awesome for the hardcore title. Okay. And then just before the main event, you get Lance versus Muda. Ooh. That's what I would have. And you, and you give the Canadian fans just, like, so much fucking Lance Storm. Really put him over as a big fucking hero. He, def- he, he defies the odds, and he retains all three titles. That's what you do with the guy. Um, Buff Bagwell and Canyon. <laughs> I forgot all about Buff and Canyon. And do you, um, do you find another placement for Judy Bagwell on the show? I mean, you... You can't renege on on the greatness of the Judy Bagwell on a pole match you promised the people, Brian. I agree. I would actually keep that match, but I would put Jared in there instead of Canyon. Ooh. 
Yeah, I, I do like the, the idea of Jared being the foil for Buff, particularly, you know, with the, the misogynistic stuff. And, and yeah, yeah I, I like that. I like that. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, we still keep the Judy Bag. Like, we've come this far with Judy Bagwell. <laughs> like, to not put her on the show, it, it feels like we're, we're, we're dropping the ball here, Brian. Uh, next, we got Ernest Miller. Yes, there were 11 matches on this pay for you guys. Don't worry, only, only two more. <laughs> Though, you know what? If you guys have listened to fucking hours of us review like an 18-year-old WCW product, you're probably okay with us uh, rebooking this pay-per-view. Ernest Miller and the Great Muda. Uh, we both found other uses for Great Muda. Do we find a match for Ernest Miller? No. <laughs> no. I, I'll like, be honest. Like, Honestly, I think Ernest Miller and Shane Douglas would be fun. That that could be fun. I like I like Ernest Miller in ring, but I think he's better served as a figurehead uh, on this show. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe I have Ernest Miller doing some commentary at, at some point yeah. during the night. And that's our Ernest Miller involvement. But no, I don't put him in a match. Uh, you know what? I actually wouldn't mind Ernest Miller, Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas somehow like wants to become commissioner. Hmm. And they, uh, I don't know, something happens. Because did we have like an episode where Shane Douglas was commissioner for one episode or something like that? I forget. Maybe it's an episode of Thunder. But maybe the two of them, like, they somehow they do a double pin and they're both co GMs for like an episode or so. And then Shane just gets shipped to Thunder and is their, their commissioner for a while. That's not bad. It's not yeah. bad. And and crazy enough, I believe the opening match of the show, we're probably both going to keep three count versus the Young Dragons in a ladder match. Yeah, they started I, I like with the, with the right one. <laughs> yeah, like I I think my like my big work rate matches would be on my show would be a uh, Lance Booker for the title, uh, Ray and Kidman, and then the three count match with uh, the Young Dragons. Those would be like my three big work rate matches, and then you know you'd have the 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 big heavyweight. Slugfest with Steiner and Goldberg. Yeah, I, I like my show. I like the way my show's panning out. Yeah, and I, if I'm not mistaken, you found place for Kevin Nash. I did not. Yes, I got Nash putting over Mike Awesome. Right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'd actually do Lance and Nash, maybe, for the U.S. title. Who knows? Um, Lance get some payback for, for being disrespected this episode? Actually, no. I'm going to do a slight addendum. Uh, maybe it's Booker, Sting, and Nash. Mm. Like a three-way for the title. Maybe you do that. I don't know. Or maybe Nash just doesn't have to, uh, you know, cross into another country. He avoids a long <laughs> flight. I'm sure he'd be happy with that. So there you go, guys. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know whose card you think is better, whose card you'd, you'd rather see. Uh, I'm curious, Nate. I think you got some good, solid ideas in there uh, that I, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a one, or, one or two of them myself. Uh but hey, uh, oh, I forgot. We got to do a silver lining for the episode. Uh, I'm going to say the silver lining of this podcast was getting to, to do that with you, Nate. Uh, but in terms of this episode of Nitro, um, I got to give my silver lining to Johnny Ace. He put some creative finishes together, Nate. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I really like that uh, reversal from the Scorpion death drop into the bookend. I thought, like, to me, that, and I, I hate to repeat myself, uh, but like that should have been a big finish at... Maybe not even uh, New Blood Rising, but maybe, you know, you hold that off to a Starcade. Yep. And give Booker that big moment, beating Sting clean in the middle of the ring. Uh, but no, we didn't get that. But uh, so you're giving that to Johnny Ace. Uh, I like Booker on this show. Uh, of course, I like Lance Storm on this show. That man called Sting even put in bad spots, uh, did his job. But I'm going to give uh, the silver lining to an unsung hero of this episode, Brian Mann. Yeah? And that is one, LaVestia T. Oh, very unsung. 
I got to give it up to LaVestia for not only, you know, the bit at the beginning where she comes out and, and they're getting out of the car and she's like, you know, you don't have to do this. You know, you, you don't have to go in and fight tonight. Uh, but then her reactions during Booker's promo uh, from ringside. And then the way she took that, she took the uh, guitar shot. Like, I, I thought that was really well executed with her and Jarrett. So, uh, you know, we're, I don't think we're going to give LaVestia a lot of love on this program. So I figured this might have been her biggest moment to date in WCW in the year 2000. So I got to give it up to uh, LaVestia T. So uh, that's that's a bit of a surprise. Did not see that coming. Uh, but what the audience probably sees coming is that the episode's over because they are able to look down at the uh, – the play had and see that, that we are wrapping things up now. So we will thank you for completing another experiment with us. Uh, if you haven't already, please rate and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, it helps other people find the show so that uh, we can uh, keep doing it uh, and t- as long as we want to, really. I think it's getting tougher and tougher every week. But if you have feedback for us, words of encouragement, send it over to keepit2000pod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want more of me, I am at Brian Maxman all over the internet. And please, uh, make sure you're watching Open Late on Complex. Uh, it's their new late night show. I write and produce on it. Hosted by Peter Rosenberg. Uh, wrestling fans know him from uh, from the WWE Network pre-shows. Really great guy. Really proud of the show we're watching. So, you know, hey, watch that because that's how I make money, which then allows me to do dumb shit like this. Uh, now, Nate, <laughs> as always, uh, I'm going to toss it over to you. Give the people the good word to hold them over until our next trial. Yes, and, and you mentioned that these shows have been getting... Uh, longer and harder to do, Brian. Well, then, fortunately for us, there's a pill for that. So uh, <laughs> we we got that going for us, which is nice. But yes, I want to send a shout out to the listeners for embarking on another journey with us here on the Satellite of Hate. Uh, again, you can check out this and former episodes of the show uh, on the Post Wrestling Network. And if you want to hear more from me, you can check me out on Twitter at in the number eight M O Z A I K at Nate Mosaic on Twitter, where, uh, you know, I talk about uh, sports and politics and wrestling and all sorts of things, you know, whatever pops into my mind on that particular day. But what is in my mind right now, good listener is leaving you on a positive note, leaving you on, on a, a, a triumphant note to go into the week. And we talked about nutty professor too the clumps earlier and the song from that movie by Janet Jackson doesn't really matter. And I'm going to relate it to our experience with WCW this week. It doesn't really matter what my eyes can see because I'm in love with your inner being. And it doesn't really matter what they believe. What matters to me, Vince Russo is that you're in love with me. It doesn't really matter what the eyes can see because I'm in love with that man called Sting. And it doesn't really matter what they believe because what matters to me is you are nutty 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 for me Shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this, this, this.